Well, 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 welcome to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. Hey, I'm your gracious and your grateful host. Uh, We are up to episode number 70, ladies and gentlemen. I say we, my friend Michael Simpson, and I have been doing this for about two years now. Look at that. And I get to talk to all kinds of people, but far more importantly, currently, I want to let everybody know that I got a dog. I got a shelter dog. Five years old. Guy's a chihuahua. Doesn't bark. Go figure. Name is Junior. Absolutely wonderful dog. I think dogs are better than human beings anyway. That's just my theory. But enough about dogs, although I could talk about dogs forever. Uh, However... The interviewee that is coming up next, a terrible segue, Lisa Sharkey. She's the Senior Vice President, Director of Creative Development at a little publishing company called HarperCollins. And she has overseen the publication of more than 50 New York Times bestsellers, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, She's a two-time Emmy Award winner and received the Peabody and DuPont Awards for her work on uh, the ABC during 9-11. How about that? We talked a lot about a lot of things, uh, covered a lot about Barbara Streisand. Go figure. How can you not talk about Babs? It's just impossible. Um, Talked about storytelling. We talked about the Kennedy family a bit. Just all kinds of good stuff. So uh, once again, I do hope that you enjoyed this as much as I did making it. Because God darn it, this lady is a hoot. Uh, That's all I got. Here comes the smart lady. Bye. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Inspired Minds Podcast. Uh, I have a lovely opportunity to speak to the very talented Ms. Lisa Sharkey. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am wonderful. It's good to hear from you. Um, So I'm going to start this off the way that I start all the interviews, and that is with this one question. When you were young, what was the first thing that you can remember that inspired you, that like lit you up? Song, book, poem, person? I would say probably um, music was the thing that inspired me as as a young kid. Really? Was there a particular song that you remember that kind of kicked you? I think probably the music that my parents listened to. It's so funny because I just finished listening to the Barbara Streisand audiobook, which is a 48-hour-long, wonderful audiobook that contains her music. And that music was my parents' favorite music. My dad um, is from Brooklyn and he had gone to the same high school as her. And so uh, I think it was probably Barbara Streisand's music, really. Uh, yeah. By the way, this is the second time now that we have discussed Barbara Streisand on this show. So um, Evergreen. Wow. So that was something that then lit you up and. Yeah. I mean, I would say Barbara Streisand and then followed by the Supremes. Motown. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And, and not, and the, the music, the magic, the fashion. And then, you know, moving on to like, you know, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, huh? you know, just the music of the 60s, 70s, 80s, just very, very into music, always loved music. So um, and, and fashion, my, my family was in the fashion business. And so fashion also lit me up. Wow. OK, so here's the follow up question. How did that get you to where you are now in life? Where did it? Well, it's interesting. I just published a book called Dressing the Part, Television's Most Stylish Shows with uh, an author, Hal Rubenstein, who interviewed all of the stylists and costume directors for 
50 of the greatest TV shows over the past 75 years. Um, the funny thing is, you know, growing up as a kid, I, my parents were in the fashion business and the garment center, and I vowed that I would never do that. I found it very boring. And I was, you know, sitting around the table listening to um, them talk about style numbers and, you know, collars and cuffs and all this stuff that just wasn't, wasn't for me. And what ended up happening in my life was that I, I left my hometown of what is now called Rybrook, New York, about 40 miles north of New York City at a pretty young age to go to college. I uh, decided that I didn't want to do 12th grade and I doubled up on my classes. And so by 16, I was living in St. Louis, Missouri, going to college. And that was the most influential transformation of my life because I was able to still as a pretty young kid, uh, change everything up and start my life over in a way. And that really defined me. And so I was able to, you know, take the best of how I'd been raised, um, but really create my own identity in a completely different part of the world, which was, you know, the Midwest along the Mississippi River. Uh Yeah. How wonderful. That's why I always love asking these questions, because it's like a divining rod in a sense. I'm, I'm not sure if that makes any sense, but I always like asking it because, you know, there's always a path from that particular creative inspiration, whatever it may be. Um, I have well, to, yeah, sorry. I mean, no, I was going to say that the, the funny thing is that like while I was in college, there was a path, literally a physical path in the middle of the quadrangle at this college. And by the time I was a junior and senior in college, I was creating these Dadaist experiences as a project for an aesthetics and philosophy class in the comparative literature and comparative arts department where I worked. And so it was sort of a full circle moment from sort of the the fashion shows of my childhood and the, the music that I listened to and the television programming that I watched and then creating my own experiences. And, and that led me ultimately to work at the college radio station as the self-appointed news director. And then I ended up going into the news business. You were in the, we were in the music business. No, the news business. News business. I'm sorry. I love that you were a college DJ. I was one of those too. Yeah. I, I actually wasn't the DJ. I was the news director. The news director. I apologize. Yeah, that's okay. But uh, there was no news director. I, I invented that and I gave myself the title. And so, you know, I came, I came on sort of in between the DJs, um, which um, it was really fun. Wow. Did you do that? This just then? No? And no, I just, you know, I, we, that's what the machine sounded like. It was there were the, uh, the uh, Associated Press and United Press International uh, machines. Yeah. That the, basically, a well, rip and read, rip and read copy. Ah. Rip and read. That's right. By the way, I've got broadcast news, the movie in my head right now. Well, that's pretty funny because I um, definitely had the job that Joan Cusack had in that where she started running with the tape. I was the tape production assistant at Channel 11 News, and I was that person running with the tape. No. Um, and um, banging into things and falling down and just and, oh. you know, and so I completely relate to that movie. 
By the way, I've seen that clip so many times where, where she hits that water cooler so hard. Yeah, I mean, that was a real thing back before the digital era. The tapes were heavy and big and, you know, they had to be put into a machine and the machine and the person had to physically press play before they could get on the news. And if they missed it, then there was a black hole on TV. Not a good That's thing. That's right. That's, I'm old enough to know that as well. Um, there's so many things that I could talk to you about and I don't have much time here, but there's a couple of things. First of all, I'm really interested. I'm going to jump here. I really like the fact that you're a mentor and I want to kind of focus on that for a second. And the tie in with this is also that I did my research and I noticed that you had done the profiles and courage with NBC, the Kennedy legacy thing. And then I realized, and it was a blurb I read about uh, Kennedy. I've never really, I never saw this. And he said, let the public service be a proud and lively career. And it, it just, it hit me so much. I love being a mentor. I do it in my own world. Tell me about that experience. Well, I have been a mentor for a very long time in my career, starting, you know, pretty early on. But my current mentoring, I'm mentoring three different people simultaneously, but, you know, separately. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on the advisory board of American Corporate Partners. And for the past 11 years, I have been mentoring military veterans as they are transitioning into civilian careers. Wonderful. That is my wow. I love doing that. I also mentor internally. I have a HarperCollins mentee who's a person who works in production and she's trying to get into editorial. Um, and then I have people that I just mentor because I, I love to help people. So um, I, you know, some of them are very structured and the real deal and other people, I just become their mentor because they ask me to help them. Uh-huh. You understand the quote that got me into a therapy chair, which is from Gandhi when he said, that in order to find yourself, you must lose yourself in the service of others? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, um, I really believe in giving back at all times. And it is the, I often um, am in the middle of doing something where I have to stop to make sure to help somebody. <laughs> that is the goal of my day. Pretty much every single day, I look for opportunities to help people, whether it's somebody who needs help, um, carrying a heavy package up the steps in the subway or helping uh -huh. a young person who is trying to figure out their career or uh -huh. just the other day um, mentoring a woman who's about 10 years younger than me who has had some very big jobs and is now in between and she came to my office and we ended up spending like two and a half hours together talking and thinking through the next level step for her. How wonderful. How absolutely wonderful. I have this idea that I was, I was actually talking to a client a couple of days ago because he's, he wants to be a mentor and a big, big mentor. And I said, why don't you be a mini mentor or a micro mentor for a couple of days? And what I meant by that was because I do the same thing, I think, as you do. Um, I'll, I have this intentional thing where I'll walk behind Actually, it started during COVID, and I noticed that these poor kids are getting screamed at. We're working at Starbucks and Safeway, but they're not virologists or they're not, you know, bouncers. So I decided to be a lot nicer to them, just kind of lean in on it and see what happens. And this is not like me trying to virtue signal, but um, I, I'm, I'll try and get them to laugh within like 30 seconds. And if I don't hit, I don't hit. Who cares? But by having that micro sort of mentor idea, it just makes me happier. <laughs> well, before COVID, because I now wear a mask always on the subway, huh? but I do take the subway whenever I go to work, which is, huh? you know, many times a week. 
Um, but before subway, before of COVID, I I called myself the subway conversationalist, and I would intentionally talk to people and initiate conversations and get to know them between stops uh-huh. and um, really met some of the most interesting people from all over the world that way. Um, and then I would write about those conversations and post them on Facebook and um, just really incredible, incredible people are everywhere and stories as, you know, taking it back to storytelling. Storytelling is everywhere. Everyone has a story inside them many stories inside them. And I um, have spent my entire career helping people to bring those stories to life. May I share something with you? Sure. I'm I'm sorry. I interrupted. My apologies. Go on. No, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm vibrating actually, because this is absolutely in my wheelhouse. So I tell my clients, I, I have this thing about storytelling now that I'm trying to work on more. Um, and I'm still kind of wood shopping, to be honest with you, but I like it. I tell my clients, I say, look, stories are flying around you all day long like butterflies, beginning in the middle and an end. And I'm super clear on the narrative form, right? I said, there's always a beginning in the middle and an end. You don't know it yet because you're not looking for the stories. Same kind of thing you're talking about. But what I tell my clients is I, I'll give them an assignment. I'll say, go out and find me a story, right? Beginning in the middle and an end. Don't care how long it is. Don't care what it's about, but... Think of it in terms of an error to form. And then the best part is I can ask them, well, what do you get? What's the meaning of that, right? What's the meaning of you can extrapolate any meaning out of a tiny little vignette. And the way that you can do that is to ask or to have the client tell you why they told you that story in the first place, right? There's a, it was a reason you did it. So then I tell them to be story hunters, especially kids. They kind of get that. I like be a story hunter and get out there and go find stories. And they love it. That's kind of what you're saying. That's journalism. That's, you know, that is what journalism is. And that's what I did for a living and still do for a living, because even though I did it first for television news, I now um, hunt down stories for books. And often those books full circle come right back on television news. So it's, it's uh, you know, the, you know we, we are storytellers. We are humans. And that's what we do. That's I go to writers conferences and I and I talk to prospective authors and I help them on one-on-one in classroom situations. Um, I'm doing it also in the English department um, at Washington University and I at the Kauai Writers Conference. I'm doing it at the Aspen Words Festival. I'm doing it at the London Book Fair, but it's all about helping people shape their stories, tell their stories. And then, which is, I think, among the most important parts of this in today's world get an audience for their stories because they want to tell them and they don't want to just tell them to themselves. They want to tell them to be on their therapist. They want to, so it's about finding your community and sharing your stories um, so that you can have the greatest possible feedback and that your stories are are of value, not just to you, but to, uh, to others as well. You know, there's this idea that you may be familiar with in psychology called uh, internal family systems, which is essentially that we all have different parts to ourselves. You know, there's a uh, there's a negative part, like angel and devil on your shoulder kind of a thing, but more complex. Yeah, my sister is uh, very involved in IFS, so oh, I, I hear from her all the time. Wonderful. I, I have an inv- I have a slight tweak on that, which is that we're all made up of stories. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and by the way, the fun thing about this thing I was telling you is and I, I, at the end of it, I get to say, congratulations, you're a storyteller. And no one's told them that before, at least not a lot. You know what I mean? Well, that's really fun. I think that's a great way to approach it. 
Yeah, thank you. And it's, it's, I mean, it's helped me. I mean, quite frankly, all of this is road tested because I went through an enormous amount of trauma about 10 years ago. And then that's also why I'm a therapist, process, process. But I processed it through storytelling. I didn't know that back then, but I have been. I've been telling the story so long about what happened that eventually all the nonsense and guilt and shame sort of like spun out. And then I was able to get to a truth that I'm cool with now. So what happened? Uh, my wife uh, committed suicide 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I just jumped off the, um, uh, off the Pasadena bridge out, out there. Well, um, I, uh, I published an entire book called life after suicide by Dr. Jennifer Ashton, whose, uh, husband, uh, recently divorced husband jumped off the George Washington bridge. Um, I, and I, I also published a book called unthinkable by Jamie Raskin, whose son yes. talked his own life on New Year's Eve, um, you know, 2021 into 2021. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a, it's a very, very difficult stories to tell about that. And yet so important to raise that. Uh-huh. And, uh, I'm sorry that you went through that. And I'm glad that you are um, taking, you know, that it takes, it, it'll take so long to heal, but healing is the most important part of trauma, right? I mean, yeah. And healing is through, again, this is my little pet theory, which is road tested. Healing is through storytelling. I don't care how you slice it up because it's telling a story about your experiences, telling the story about the dead, telling the stories, stories. I'm so on this thing. I also went through other traumas as well during, during that massive trauma um, and uh, PTSD and everything. And, but it was all through storytelling that I got through it. I mean, and support, but. Yeah, I mean, I um, part of what I do as a book publisher is to work with authors who have been through tremendous traumas and help them tell their stories. And um, it's it's cathartic for the authors, and it's very important for others to read about those stories because everyone has been through some sort of trauma, whether it's a massive trauma like a spouse is suicide, or I have auth- I have three separate authors who all lost legs in three huh. separate ways and all went on to write best-selling books about that story, helping not only themselves get through that trauma, but helping so many other people be inspired by their strength. Correct. And their experience. Correct. Um, yeah. I, I try and tell my story as much as humanly possible to anybody. I don't care. <laughs> I'm extremely transparent. Matter of fact, when I was going through the grief, which took about five years, I was very public about it on Facebook. I just wrote about it the entire time. Every emotion I ever had, I put out in that thing and, you know, help me. Well, um, so I think, you know, story right, right now, the, the whole idea, which is very much in the zeitgeist is born out of this internal family systems because mm. everyone's talking about their shadows which yeah. was something that, you know, Debbie Ford wrote about that probably 20 years ago. I mean, it's, it's not the first time we were learning about this, but it's having a moment, I think, through TikTok and other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Dr. Nicole LaPera, who just wrote a book for HarperCollins called How to Be the Love You Seek. She previously wrote a book um, that was really a huge bestseller. All of her books have been bestsellers um, about trauma. And she I just signed up today to get a journal, like a shadow journal digitally so that I could start journaling about that stuff too. It's very interesting to me. 
Yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating work. Um, I do want to just a couple of other things too. First of all, I have to say this. I did. Um, I looked it up, and I am so this is amazing. So Harper Collins, and I'm sure you know this, they did all the uh, Golden Age of, de- of detective fiction stuff, and Agatha Christie was in there. I'm looking at, and then C.S. Lewis was another writer within the imprint. I had no idea, and Dr. Seuss too. Yeah, well, no, Dr. Seuss is not Harper Collins. Oh, wah, wah. It looked like it was. Sorry. <laughs> no, definitely C.S. Lewis. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, everybody from Moby Dick to Gabriel Garcia Marquez yeah. to the book, you know, Profiles and Courage. That actually, JFK's Pulitzer Prize winning book, Profiles and Courage, is what was the thing that caused me to actually go to work at HarperCollins because I produced a documentary with Caroline Kennedy for NBC called Profiles and Courage, a Kennedy Legacy. And that documentary reunited me with the woman who was at the time the CEO of HarperCollins, Jane Friedman. I had been speaking with her on and off for a number of years after she recognized me when I was working at Good Morning America as a person who was helping to turn books into bestsellers by creating TV segments for them. And she wanted to meet me. And I, I said to her at the time, I think I might be in the wrong career. I, I actually think I should be in book publishing. And uh, she, and I gave her why and how I thought I could run after stories like a journalist, like uh-huh. I do for TV news. And um, we struck up a friendship and we spoke on and off for multiple years. And then I also knew Caroline Kennedy and I uh, told her that I thought we should do a documentary based on the book Profiles and Courage. Um, And at that point, I was working as the president of Al Roker's television company. And um, it turned out that it was the 50th anniversary of Profiles and Courage. And Caroline said, well, you know, people say this to me all the time, but nobody's ever been able to do it. And I said, well, I I think I can do it. And anyhow, I did. And it, it was a really wonderful project. And I was then reunited with Jane Friedman, who was then the CEO of HarperCollins, which led to her hiring me away to be in book publishing. I was wondering what that connection is. But the great thing I just realized is through what you just said is you're the queen story hunter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. It makes perfect sense. What you're saying is that you were hunting stories for news at work. Now you can hunt for stories for the publishing world. Yeah, that is exactly correct. And um, you know, yeah, just yeah, because you can see it, right? I see it. I have, um, I have my mind open at all times to taking in interesting stories from the zeitgeist or from news or just trends that are out there. I my antenna is on. Yeah, yeah, you are you are present for stories. You're, yeah. Oh, I, I, I may add you to my entire uh, psychology world. <laughs> Never mind. That was fantastic. That is such a great. I love that. I'm honestly blown away. It's fantastic. Maybe one more question for you because you did mention earlier that you um, that you do a lot of men, mentor work. Tell me, what do you get out of it? Well, you know, it's always better to give than to receive. So, you know, what what I get out of it as a person giving of my time is to be able to see growth in others. And yeah. and, and it's, it's the feeling that I've been able to make a difference in somebody's life. That, to me, 
is a gift. Um, I'm a person who likes to give gifts. Um, I, I, I guess I also like to receive them, but I really am a gift giver. That's my love language is gifts. Uh-huh. And uh, oftentimes it's the gift of my time, the gift of my, my brainstorming. And what I get out of it is the knowledge deep in my heart and deep in my soul that I have made a difference in someone's life. And if I can take someone from point A to point B and give them the benefit of what I've learned and the wisdom that that I have, and I can give them the gift of listening to them and hearing what they want and helping them identify where they want to go, I can then help them create a pathway to get there. And um, for me, seeing that happen in real time in the real world, um, especially with military veterans who have devoted their lives and have been willing to die for our country, that gives me, makes me feel like I'm doing something that's the right thing to do. Absolutely. I will say that I was part of the wounded warriors during my trauma, but I'm not part of that. I'm not in the service. Um, So I also met a lot of other military uh, men and women who were experiencing massive trauma like I was. And it was a a real eye opener. So thanks for what you're doing. Well, there's two books that I've worked on that are directly related to military trauma. Um, One is called Modern Warriors. Um, and it's by Pete Hegseth. And the other one is called Unbroken Bonds of Battle by Johnny Joey Jones. Um, and um, Joey was a bomb tech who lost his legs while defusing a bomb um, and, uh, in the Middle East. And he um, has devoted his life, life to, well, he's also an on-air um, host correspondent, and but he also helps so many veterans and first responders who have suffered from PTSD and have been wounded or had mental health challenges um, to pull their lives back together. So, you know, I really like working on storytelling of stories that are little little known and modern warriors books are about the men and women who have sacrificed so much in the modern era. I mean, we read a lot about World War II and World War I and the Civil War and the Revolutionary War, but there really isn't a lot about the the current series of people, you know, thousands of men and women who have sacrificed. And uh-huh. so um, it's really interesting to work on these and to help these stories be told because they're important. Profiles encourage indeed. Yes. That's, yeah, that's... What a wonderful conversation I've had with you. I really, and by the way, I got to talk about Robert Streisand again, so I'm good. I can talk about Yentl forever. <laughs> well, I, as I, I you know, put up this post on Facebook today about having just being wistful after having finished the entire audio book and um, you know, growing up, my dad went to Erasmus Hall High School and so did Barbara. She's huh? younger, but not by so much. And huh? that was such a big point of pride in our family that he huh? went to high school in Brooklyn as Barbara Streisand did. And my mother-in-law um, also was one of the early fans. And so I've gifted them each this 900-page book. Um, <laughs> I uh, the book all the way down to Texas for my dad last weekend and I think he was intimidated by its length, but, and I, you know, 
his hearing isn't great. So I couldn't have him listen to the audiobook. but I sat there and I said, but dad, look, she's writing about, she's writing about your block. She's writing about your high school principal. Are you sure you want to take the book back? And so he said, no, 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 actually, let me read that. Let me, no, you can't have the book back. So I'm so glad um, I was able to, and I, I did not work on that book. It's not a HarperCollins book, but um, I have one of my best friends in the whole wide world is Richard J. Alexander, and he's been working with Barbara Streisand for over 20 years. Wow. Um, and so, um, and I have her passion for design. She did this beautiful home design book as well. Um, but you learn what's interesting about that book as a storyteller, especially the audiobook, is that she has come up against so many obstacles in her life, starting with the trauma of not having a father and starting with the trauma of a mother who wouldn't show her love. And, um, but at the very end of the book, so much of the trauma resolves because of the work that she does to understand her story and what makes her tick and why her mother acted the way she did. And she finally comes to bed and she's at peace with it. It's, it's just very, very interesting. And as a, as a woman myself, you know, in, you know, the male dominated news business coming up through that and experiencing, you know, sexism in the newsroom and all of those things. And I even once when I worked at CBS news, uh, WCBS TV and channel two news in New York, I produced a three part series um, about Barbara Streisand. And my um, assignment was to go to the Peabody awards somehow make my way up to the hotel suite where she was being celebrated and convince her to appear in the series about her. So <laughs> I actually went to the Peabody Awards. I got my way all the way up to the hotel suite. I was in the room. I was shaking her hand. I was telling her my dad went to Erasmus. And then I made my big pitch. And she said, well, I would need editorial control. You know, after you shoot the interview, I would need to make sure to take anything out that I didn't like. And then I called my news director at the time and he said, um, well, well, no, <laughs> I mean, you can't. <laughs> and, you know, we, and I, and I mean, I know what the rules are. And I said, well, what if we hired her to be the producer and be the interview subject? Then she could be hired to do it. And he said, no, good try, Sharky, but no. So. <laughs> I, I never, I never got that interview, but um, I was able to interview some great people who had worked with her, and we found some great videotape of some of the concerts that she gave, especially political fundraising concerts. And she was just, she's a fascinating woman who has gotten a reputation for being difficult only because she's a woman, because the yeah. exact behaviors that yeah. she exhibited, her perfectionism is, yeah. You want your movie to be perfect. You want your album to be perfect. Um, and so if she were a man, she would be like, you know, a badass and a, right. a planner and someone who's a master of the craft. But, right. you know, but you say her, her words and, and, you know, and she talks about this, you know, in she talks about being, you know, the director and, and having had such a hard time through it all. But at the end, she emerges victorious and it's, it's just a really beautiful, I mean, it's unbelievably great storytelling. I cannot wait. I'm going to go, I'm going to read the book. It's only, it sounds as long as Infinite Jest, but I'm going to probably try and get hold of it. Um, well, I will say that the audiobook also has the songs. So when she references Evergreen, like you're, you're going to hear it. So 
Um, you know, the book is great, but the audiobook, it's literally Barbara in her Brooklyn accent talking to you. Ooh. So I've got everything flowing through my head right now. <laughs> um, well, listen, this has been absolutely wonderful. I got to say this too. You, this, this one interview reminds me so much of one of my other favorite ones, which was with Diana Asana, who um, she won the Academy Award for writing Brokeback Mountain with like Barry McMurtry. Um, and you remind me a lot of her. And that's a huge compliment. Wow. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, Jeff. Yeah, really, really lovely lady. So again, I cannot, I cannot thank you enough. What a fantastic, and thanks for signing off on my little intervention and the storytelling thing. I'm making it up as I go along. Absolutely. I think it's great. And I really appreciate having the time. And, um, you know, I just hope many more people will put down their phones for a little bit and, and read books. Um, because yeah. That is the solution to many of the problems we're having right now with focus and with the inability to sort of think in our heads. So while I do love audiobooks, I also really think reading on the, the written oh. page and letting, letting the voice in your head help you tell the story and imagining, you know, some great novels are out there right now. Some just wonderful books are out there. I'm working on some really exciting ones and it's... Yeah. Um, I, actually, before I before I sew this whole thing up, I just one more comment on that. I'm abs. I completely agree with you. For me, also because you know, musician, and I was used to physical things. I was used to going out to record store, the whole ritual, Catholic ritual of going to a record store or whatever that is. And yeah, now it's on a phone, and cool, great. I can bring up any song that I want on my phone, but like, there's no investment. <laughs> you know, there's no there's not a book to hold. There's not parchment. There's not respect. There's not honor. And I'm not saying there's not. I think that's an over dramatic, overly dramatic thing to say, but it's for me at least. Reading a book is more holy. Well, reading there's something special about a book that you can hold it next to your heart, and you can smell the pages, and you can uh, you can dog ear them, and you can underline them, and you can read it again and again, and you can gift it to another person. I mean, it's it's really the the ultimate gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure you I've had a fantastic time speaking with you, Lisa Sharkey. I truly have. Um, and I think we're done unless you have any final thoughts like Jerry Springer always said. <laughs> I mean, my, my only final thoughts are, you know, read more books yeah. and, and, and um, take time to open your antenna to the universe. What a wonderful statement. Okay. Um, I'm going to pretend to hang up here and then we'll chat for a couple more seconds after this is done recording. Deal? Sure. Hang tight. Okay. I'm going to fake goodbye. Bye, Lisa. <laughs> Click. <laughs>